Holly Knoll, host of the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. If you've always wanted to start a business and don't know where or how to start, you've come to the right place. After leaving an unfulfilling corporate career, I decided it was time to start a business of my own. Today, I'm a business coach and creator of The Consultant Code, where I help people start services-based businesses in 60 days or less. So grab your latte because you're about to be inspired, armed with knowledge, and given simple tools to start a business of your own from my interviews with Everyday Entrepreneurs. Welcome back to the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast, Season 2, where we're focused on women in tech. Some of you may recall my current guest today. Her name is Karen Williams. She was on season one of the Everyday Entrepreneur podcast. Karen was on to talk about how she built her independent consulting company. And today I have her back to talk about how her world of marketing has intertwined with the world of technology. So let me tell you a little bit about Karen first. Karen is a brand and marketing strategist with over 17 years of experience building brands. She's worked in roles such as a strategic brand consultant at Interbrand, which is the largest brand consultancy. And also she's worked in in-house at companies like Procter & Gamble and Nestle. With experience across a wide variety of corporate and consumer brands, some of Karen's most significant projects have been leading strategy engagements with brands such as Google, One Medical, Disney, Twitter, and the North Face. Additionally, Karen has loads of experience working with startup companies of all sizes on their brand positioning customer experience, and product marketing strategy. Living and working in the San Francisco Bay Area for 14 years, Karen is originally from Texas, where she earned an MBA from the University of Texas. But when Karen is not strategizing about brands, you'll find her volunteering with the four-legged type, raising puppies for guide dogs for the blind, and volunteering with, with the San Francisco SPCA in the Animal Assisted Therapy Program. So from one dog lover to another, may I introduce to you today, Karen Williams. Welcome back, Karen. Welcome back to the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. Thank you, Molly. It, it has. <laughs> I'm happy to have you here. I was looking back at, at our episodes. So for listeners out there who are new to the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast or just haven't stopped by in a while, you were here in July 2020. We talked about how to build a successful freelancing business, kind of your journey from being a marketer of laundry detergent. I think that's in my title as well, um, being a marketer of laundry detergent, among other things, to really going out on your own and, and doing your own business. So super excited to have you back almost two years later, a little over two years later. Wow, crazy. So catch us up. What What's life been like since July 2020? Where are you now? Yeah, that is wild that it's been two years. I mean, it's also not why it was a little bit of a time warp there, right? So let's see. Professionally, I'm pretty much in the same position. I feel very, very fortunate. And I tell myself this daily and I tell other people this daily that my business has continued to grow and probably thrive during this time. I have theories and, and reasons why, you know, just the nature of remote work and being able to work more easily, you know, you know, across borders and, and things like that. But also just still loving what I do and being really enthusiastic about it. And I think I just keep getting great projects. So professionally, things are, I don't know if I would say better than ever, but really, really great. Personally, when I moved, we moved into, I'm in a new, I was like picturing myself during the last podcast recording and I was in 
my living room of our old apartment. And now I'm in the living room of our new house. <laughs> so you went from renting to buying in San Francisco, which is huge. I went from, thank you, from, I remember sitting by this teeny tiny window and I had a view of like the alley in the back. to now I have a view of basically Corona Heights and everything out my window. So I definitely got a view upgrade. That's for sure. I've treated up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And you've done a lot of like the, kind of the modernizing of your apartment yourself, right? I've kind of, I followed you oh, for a long time. Oh, gosh. I'm going to have to give my friend Christina credit for that. She she is also a woman in tech, but loves interior design. And so she does that kind of as her, she want to call it a side hustle. But yeah, she really helped us with a lot of stuff. So I don't really have an eye for that. I think I do. And then I start to put it together. I'm like, that looks really bad. Like with Christine, I have some questions. So I spent all this money and it looks like, crap. Yeah, oh, yeah. great. <laughs> Been there. Well, okay. So what, what are you working on right now? Obviously this is our women in tech yeah. season. I have you on here specifically because you are one of the first people I think mm-hmm. of when I think of a woman in tech and a woman that I really respect and admire in our space. And so Tell me about what you're working on right now and yeah, what you're doing in the technology field. Yeah. So right now at this moment, I have, I'm in the middle of a freelance project with a semiconductor company and it's actually a really cool project. It's a employer or employee value proposition. So it's branding, but like talent branding. So, you know, what makes this company a great place to work? So that's a really great project because it does combine kind of this you know, very exciting and growing tech space, but with like people aspect of things, which I love. I am just starting today, literally after we are done, I'm going to kick off with clienting in the medical device field. So tech adjacent, I guess, but we can talk about that. I feel like everything's technology. So uh, I will be starting that today. That is also a freelance project. And then I'm working actually on a a (laughs) non-tech project, but it's a consumer good. It's actually a ingredient or a component in a lot of things that need protection. So mountain biking gear, even like cell phone cases. So it's technology in that it's science. It's actually, there's a huge science component to it, but it's not like software or anything like that. So that's like my current plate. I just wrapped up with an audiovisual company, which is really intriguing. Um, so yeah, it's been good. It's been really good. Wow. I mean, as you're describing these experiences and the work that you're doing, I just think like, wow, you went from working at Procter & Gamble, you know, a lifetime ago to in working on very household brand names, things that everyone can relate to. Everyone knows what they are, you know, very non-tech, but consumer products to semiconductors. Mm-hmm. So tell me how, I guess, like, how did that transition go? And I know it's been a journey. It just didn't yeah. happen overnight, but how did you kind of fall into this tech space? And then how do you, well, tell us that first, like, how did you fall into the semiconductor business? How did you land this client? Yeah. Well, this client is a, is a freelance opportunity. I've known and worked with the agency for several years. They almost, not totally, but I would say almost exclusively work in like B2B, early stage tech, sometimes, you know, later stage tech. So by building a relationship with them, I've gotten access to some of these really great projects. But how I even got to that place from ice cream, that was the last was like kind of consumer product really that I worked on was kind of intentional. I moved out here. You're correct. I was doing laundry detergent and coffee with Hunter and Gamble. And then I moved out here to work at Nestle and I was doing ice cream. And I thought that was really cool. And in many respects that 
that was not supposed to be a pun, but it was very <laughs> cool. And in many respects, it is because everyone loves ice cream and it's fun and it's, you know, a great household product. But when I found myself here in the Bay Area working on ice cream, I was like, I'm missing out on things that are changing really quickly. Like I thought to myself, I could leave this job for a year, you know, if I needed to take time off and come back and I feel like it would be exactly the same when I came back. Now, I don't know if that's true or not because I didn't leave for a year, but I had this like craving to work on something that I felt like if I missed a month that I would miss a lot. You know, I wanted like this fast pace. Now this was 2009, I guess, 2010. So this was kind of the height of like, I was single and everyone I was meeting, just, you know, friend base and everything like that. They, they worked in technology and I was like, I want to do something like that. It's just, it seemed so exciting and so fast paced, but I knew I had to like bridge that gap. I'm not going to go apply for a job at Google coming from Nestle thinking I would be a natural fit. So it was somewhat of a journey, but it was also somewhat intentional that I wanted to get into that space. How did you bridge the gap? Yeah. So I went instead of, because I would call myself in-house, you know, at Nestle, instead of going in-house as a marketer at Nestle to in-house as a marketer at a tech company, I went to the client service side. That actually started kind of this whole journey for me because I was like, I know the thing that I'm good at, the practice that I'm good at. So now I need to apply it to a bunch of new categories and companies and industries. And so that's when I ended up going client service side working at both an innovation agency and then later Interbrand, which actually kicked off my kind of brand agency. So that's how I made the shift was I was like, I'm going to go to an agency that has those clients and then that'll give me access to that type of work, if that makes sense. And how did you kind of pitch yourself to the agency to to have them pitch you to a tech client? How did you have that conversation? It was not easy. I I mean, that's like a whole different topic, but just even going from client side to client service side was not easy, that interview process, because I would get to like, and they were very intrigued by my background. And then I would get to maybe the final set of interviews and they would say, but we need people who have worked in corporate branding. And that, you know, meaning not necessarily the consumer side, but can you do B2B branding? Can you do the kind of umbrella brand stuff? And I didn't have any of that experience. My entire experience was all consumer products. So yeah, I would get the no like a lot. Finally, I had a friend actually from swimming. I think I might've mentioned this the last time we talked, but that worked at an innovation agency and she she took a chance on me. So I feel like I owe Colleen like, you know, the, the rest of my career, but that's kind of how I just needed to get in the door and have someone trust that I'm good at what I do and that I can apply it to things that I may not have worked on, but that I was capable of that. I love that. I think all it takes is that one person that will just give you the break and will take that leap of, leap of faith on you. Obviously, you're, you were super qualified in your domain. However, in like the industry, that took a little bit more convincing. And luckily, because you had a friend in the industry, you probably didn't have to do a lot of convincing because she knew that you were smart, capable, talented, could figure things out, would knock it out of the park, just overcoming like the one hurdle, like maybe the subject matter. Yeah. But um, I think that's something that, sometimes people get way too bogged down and like, well, you know, we've all heard probably the analogy of like women look at job descriptions and are like, oh, you know, I, I think we talked about this in our prep call, but you know, like, oh, I, I don't, I'm not a 10 out of 10 of all these 10 bullets. I am a six out of 10. So I better not apply. Whereas men are like, well, I'm a three out of 10, but I'm still going to apply because I got this. And so 
I think that, um, you know, the fact that that you still persevered and went for it and you had a person that that would vouch for you is is amazing. And I think there's something that I want the listeners to go away with is that find that person that can be your advocate. Yeah. Find, you know, don't give up just because you don't check every single box on a job description or some sort of opportunity, but find a creative way to to get in there anyway, even if you aren't the perfect unicorn match, because guaranteed you're going to have other skills and things to bring to the table that, you know, that that'll be, that might not be on the job description, but would make you an even better fit anyway. So yeah, it's so, I feel like it happens a lot these days, like job descriptions. People are looking for someone who has done that exact job in that exact environment. Yeah. That's A, just hard when there's, you know, competition for talent, but B, especially in these fields that have not even been around that long. Like, I don't know if you saw the I don't know if it was a meme or a tweet, but it was like somebody was looking for someone with 20 years of social media experience. And they were like, nobody has 20 years. Like, do you want the guy no. that started MySpace? You know, it's like, <laughs> right. And so it's Mark like, Zuckerberg like, wouldn't get the job. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, yes, you have to sometimes look at someone as a whole and say they're capable of doing this and then I can teach them the other yeah. part or they can just yeah. learn the other part, you know, yeah. so like it. And, and as consultants, a lot of times we get thrown into client situations where we have to learn quickly and, and you might not be the most in-house expert the deep, with the deepest knowledge, but hey, you bring other skills to the table and you can, you know, you can figure it out, roll your sleeves up and apply your other skills to still make things happen. And so I think when people are thinking about transitioning from a career of maybe non-technology to a career of technology, not having technology experience I would like people to know that that don't let that stop you. And so what would you say to that that woman who's always worked in product development or consumer goods on the marketing branding side that wants to move into a tech space? Like what would you tell her if she's like I don't want to miss out on all this good technology stuff, but I just am not qualified or I don't know technology, so I'm I'm not a good candidate. What would you what would you tell her? Yeah, good question because I feel like I do actually get asked this a lot by people and it's like identify the thing that you are good at and then how you can apply that to whatever the industry, you know, is that you want to go into. So no, you may not be a software engineer. You're probably not a software engineer, but if you are, meaning in the case of my craft, you know, but if you are an excellent brand strategist or you're an excellent social media strategist, how can you impart that onto a team or a company that isn't necessarily an expert in that? I feel like I had like this moment, like this epiphany when I, when I got that for myself, because when I first started it in a brand, my clients were like Adobe, eBay, Google. And I remember for that Adobe project, I was so nervous. So it was my first technology project. And I was like, and it's not even, I mean, Adobe is tech, but it's consumer, you know, you use the products. And so I was like, okay, this is like baby steps in. But I remember getting an aerospace client, which, you know, is technology aerospace in its own right. But being so nervous, I was like, aerospace? It's literally the joke when people say it's not rocket. Yeah, it's not rocket science. I'm like, oh my God, this is rocket. Literally, I'm working in rocket science. And I was so nervous. I was like, I do not know, you know, are they going to believe what I'm telling them? Are they going to listen to me? And it was a very, very, if you can imagine, a very male-dominated feel and audience. And there was a moment, I think we had like a few meetings with the client and, you know, we had, when I was at Interbrand and we had presented stuff, we were back home and they were in Phoenix, we're back home in San Francisco. And my boss says, the CEO wants 
he said, that lady to, to fly out and meet with him. And I said, at this time, I think I'm still like, you know, a young girl. And I said, what lady? <laughs> and he said, a ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a girl. <laughs> but he said, you. And I was like, the CEO wants me to fly out and meet with him because he recognized that I knew what I was talking about, that I was the brand expert and he's the aerospace engineering expert. And he wanted to have a conversation. I flew out to Phoenix for the day, spent, I don't know, an hour or two hours with him. We talked through like all the kind of ways brand can be applied to their business. And, you know, we just had this really, really great meeting. And then I flew back and it was this moment when I was like, holy crap, like I was just asked by the CEO of one of the largest aerospace companies in the world to come out and talk about brand with him. And I was like, it doesn't matter that I'm not an aerospace engineering expert. I've learned enough along the way that I can apply brand. And he's not a brand expert, but he's learned enough, you know, through our working together that he gets it. And it was just, that was like my moment when I was like, I am confident now, like I can do this. And it kind of took someone, you know, really demonstrating that to me. But yeah, you don't, I'll never be as good at aerospace engineering, not even, not even a tiny bit, you know, as to my clients. But that's not the point. That's not why that's not they're hired. hiring you. Exactly. 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 So that was kind of my moment when I was like, I got this. I can do any industry. So I love it. Love it. And you, you identify the transferable skills that you have mm-hmm. that can require, that can apply to any industry. And meeting with the CEO, it sounds like he recognized he's not good at branding. He's not a branding guy, but really smart people who run really well-run companies hire people who are really smart in their field like you, right? So you were there to teach him and be the expert and share your knowledge to a guy that, you know, is an expert in something completely different, but still needs you to grow his business. So I think keeping that in mind is what do you bring to the table that other people don't or where other people might need your help? What are those transferable skills that can apply to whatever industry you're in? So if you're working in, you know, like in the marketing, on the marketing side for a product like coffee or ice cream, what are those transferable skills that can apply also regardless of what industry you're in? But what, you know, what are those transferable skills that can apply to a different industry like tech? And then how do you tell your story around that to make your potential clients or hiring managers realize like, oh, you know, you have a lot to to bring to the table here. Yeah. And when you really like break it down, every business has something to quote unquote sell, you know, or offer. And then at the other end of that, everyone has something that they need to procure or buy. Mm -hmm. And so whether it is the most complicated you know, B2B or what seems to be a complicated B2B tech experience or something you use every day, like toothpaste. It's the same fundamentals of like understanding the mindset of the person who's making the decision and then creating sort of a story and a plan, you know, to get your product in their hands or in their consideration set. And I sometimes have to make those analogies to myself. Like if I get so wrapped up in the complex nature of what it is, like I was working with a data compression client last year. I would get (laughs) confused sometimes. And then I'd be like, wait, wait, wait. It's like, and sometimes I'll just make the most basic analogy to myself. I don't necessarily, you know, say that to anyone else, but it just comes right. It helps you get right back to like, okay, this isn't complicated at its Mm -hmm. fundamental level. It probably is incredibly complicated once you get into it, but I don't need to get into it. 
right? That's not my job. Right. Yeah. You don't have to get into the weeds and know every in and out of the context or the subject matter, but you can bring your skills to the table and execute with what you know, and then rely on the other folks around you to bring to bring what they know. And then together, you know, that's the team, right? And another thing that I've learned is ask questions. Mm-hmm. I think we get so afraid to ask the most basic things like, so tell me how this works. And then when someone starts to explain it, say, well, wait, can you back up? What do you mean by, or do you mean, I think we get like intimidated, you know, or we feel a little bit insecure if we have to ask someone how something works because you think, well, they're so smart. They're not going to think I'm not smart if I'm asking these questions. Not only are you learning or am I learning in that instance, but that other person is learning too. I've had so many clients say, oh, I never thought about it that way because I'm asking the most basic questions. You know, like mm-hmm. talk to me like a person yeah, you know, this. that doesn't know anything about this type of engineering or whatever. Just talk to it. And then they're learning things themselves when they put it yeah. into those type of words. So it's like mutually beneficial as well. I'm glad you brought this up because I think, it, you know, kind of bringing this back on what women in tech focus is, I think sometimes as women going in, I've observed women doing this. I've done it myself. We... In, in a male-dominated industry, sometimes I think women hold back from asking questions, being vulnerable about what they don't know, because there's this expectation, whether it's self-imposed or it's just real from the organization, that we have to work so much harder to prove ourselves and be so much more on top of our game than a guy. Now, whether that's true or not, you know, there's so many, you know, that it's very subjective, right? But I know that 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 is a common experience women have. So being a woman in tech and asking questions, asking the quote unquote dumb question or the basic question can sometimes, so my experience has been eye, eye rolls, mansplaining, men dumbing things down. And, and like, it's very obvious they would not speak to a man this way. And so sometimes I think women just, unconsciously get train themselves like I'm not going to ask because I don't want to have to deal with how I'm going to be treated for asking this question. So I don't know what's been your experience in that in that vein and what what yeah what could you share yeah. around your experience? Yeah, yeah. There? So it's changed a lot. I feel like and obviously there's still a long ways to go, but you know, mm-hmm. I was thinking back to like 2011, 2012 when I was getting into working with a lot of tech clients and I did feel like I was the only woman in the room sometimes. And not only was I only woman in the room, but I was the only one not, you know, who didn't work for the company, you know, like, oh, this is really intimidating. But I think what I've just done is gain confidence along the way. And like you phrased it as dumb question. I know you were just kind of, you know, colloquially speaking, dumb questions. They don't think of them as, you know, as dumb questions. I actually think like these are really good questions. And if someone else doesn't like my question, well, it's not their question, you know, so I don't have to like it. But I go in with such confidence in my craft and my skill that maybe sometimes I do perceive that someone is treating me differently. You know, whether it's true or not, when I get that feeling, I almost get like more confident. So you're right. Like some people would shy away and stop asking questions or phrase things a little bit softer or say, oh yeah, you're right. You know, or whatever these things that we do as women, these kind of coping things. I actually feel like I go the other way around when I feel like someone's treating me like less than or like, well, she doesn't really get it. I kind of get even more confident. <laughs> I think it's like my own coping mechanism that lets someone else not sort of, they they can't do that. It's like, oh, it's fine. You can act like that, but I'm actually really good at what I do. 
And I feel very confident in what we're talking about right now. So that's kind of my coping mechanism is not to shy away. It's like to be a little bit more assertive. I don't know if that's always the right thing to do, but it's sort of how I handle it. I think I think that works for you because you're very established in your career and that comes with wisdom. So I think I'm much more like some some guy rolls his eyes at me or or asks acts like I'm acting a dumb, asking a dumb question. It makes me even more confident in my question. It makes me even more probably assertive in what I'm trying to ask. However, I wasn't all that I was that way. And yeah. to be fair to women that are just starting out, like be confident, just like that doesn't happen overnight. And so I I guess I would be interested in just what have you learned from yeah. just yeah. feeling like, you know, having like kind of a, a negative experience showing your kind of vulnerability in a workplace in terms of your knowledge. And like, how, how have you handled that earlier on when you were less confident? Yeah, I can certainly go earlier on. It's you actually made me realize though, this was only like a few months ago. And I was in a meeting with the CEO of a tech company and there were other people in the meeting as well. But it was like, I think the rest of his team was mostly women and they were like the marketing team and the communications team, right? And he's not, he at all, that was not his area of expertise. I could sense he was very uncomfortable because he was actually the only one in the room who wasn't either directly related to that skill set of brand and marketing or even tangentially or, you know, perfectly related. He was the only one that was like the fish out of water, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And instead of sitting back and listening, got very defensive and uncomfortable and was criticizing, you know, like I would say something and he would criticize it. And then, you know, I was just like, I, I don't know where to go to make myself feel okay. Because even I, as confident as I am and what I do was sort of like in your office, like, oh my God, I'm so glad this is a Zoom meeting. You know, like if I was yeah. in the room, I would feel really scared even almost. worse. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I, I'm trying to, I might have blocked a lot of it out, but I think I stopped and I said, I would just love, I'd love to know your expectations, you know, rather than going back and forth, tell me what you're looking for. And it's sort of like, almost just like put a pause on a very like awkward, intense situation and couldn't really answer it. And I was like, okay, like it made me realize that's what I needed to know was it was his insecurity coming through and that didn't make me feel better. I do not feel better when people feel insecure, but it gave it a place. And I, I felt like this is not about me. It's not tearing me apart, it's not tearing my work apart. So I would say no matter where you are in your journey, I always like to live by this rule. And I learned this at the innovation firm that I worked at of assume everybody has the best of intention. Doesn't always come out right, but everybody has the best of intention. So I literally had to put on that hat, not literally put on the hat, but I had to figuratively put on the hat and say to myself, he has the best of intentions. He's trying to make himself feel more comfortable. He's trying to not, he's not attacking me. It is coming out that he's attacking me. And I think you can think about that no matter what your level is, no matter where, what your starting place is, is people will not act unkind or mansplain or whatever, unless they're insecure. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it just, it levels us as humans. Mm -hmm. Everyone has awkward days. There are moments when we don't always feel our best. And so I feel like you can always kind of go to that place. This person has the best of intention is just, they're either going through a hard time or it's coming out right, you know? So yeah. yeah. You had compassion. You found compassion for him. It was hard, but I mean, you talk about it. And then weirdly, like a few meetings later, he was incredibly nice to me Mm. and 
was like, you know, I know, Karen, I keep giving you a hard time, oh. but I just really, I appreciate this work. So I think what happened was he was probably having a really tough day. Mm-hmm. He then felt like he didn't understand what we were talking about because it was just out of his comfort zone and was like, yeah, it was not nice, you know? And he, he didn't probably really, went I don't back. Think he, yeah, I don't think he needed to apologize and he didn't apologize. He just made it clear, like, I wasn't my best self, you know, that day. And so it actually ended up okay. I felt like we're in a good place. But if I had just shied away or worse, if I had just gotten like really defensive, it's like that, mm. that's going to get us nowhere, you know? Totally. So Yeah. You you disrupted the flow by just turning it back on him and saying, what are your expectations here? And making yeah. it about him and, yeah. and asking a, a very frank question that just kind of stopped everything and probably yeah. made him think. And then he probably realized like, oh God, I'm being an asshole. I better Well, I think he also realized, I don't know what I'm expecting. Yeah. I've done this before. And, you know, and yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, so what do you think is the, the future for women in tech? Where do you see like, in it, like I'm talking about half a human race and, and there are women out there that are like, I don't like to be distinguished as a woman in tech. This podcast is not for those women, but yeah. I... I think it's a fact, you know, obviously that we women in tech is still a minority, no matter what PR is coming out of Silicon Valley saying, oh, we're we're starting to get more evenly balanced. I will say that in my experience is not true. In my 20 plus years of experience, I have not seen a whole lot of shifts in more women at the table in any of my jobs, unfortunately, maybe a slight shift, but not much. So what do you think the future is? And then what do you hope the future, what do you want the future to be? Good question. I mean, I think, and I, I, it's almost like there's not, I mean, there still is, there are tech companies and there are non-tech companies, Mm -hmm. but when you really think about it, everything is moving into technology. Like remember when you would meet people 15 years ago and someone would say, oh, I work in tech. I don't, nobody says that anymore because you, there's, you know, FinTech and MedTech and HealthTech. It's like, I think nobody might say that in San Francisco. You go to other parts of the country. Okay. I, you know, living in Minnesota. I okay. say I work. Fair. I say yeah. I work in tech. There's so many people that do not work in tech. Here. Okay, they're totally doing like fair. all kinds of random stuff. But you're right. Like in the bubble of the Bay Area, tech just kind of is all like just what most people just do. They support tech. They they are technologists. They yeah. So then maybe that's what I hope is that there's like a mind shift mm. that. You know, I mean, yes, there are always going to be some fields that are not in tech. Like, you know, if you are a landscaper, I I think, you know, that might be, you know, if you are physically a landscaper, that might be what it's, but who's to say, you know, it's not moving into like digital design of a landscape and things like that. So it's like there, I wish the mindset wasn't this like hard line between tech and non-tech or whatever you want to call it, that we all kind of see our roles as you know, today and tomorrow. And today your field might be more analog, you know, or more traditional, but there's going to be more technological and more digital components of it. So it's this mindset of like, my job is probably going to morph into a bit of technology anyway. And so I'm excited about that. You know, like that's kind of what, so I totally see what you're saying. I bet you people say they're not in tech, but they maybe are in some ways. They just don't think about their industry, you know, directly being in technology. I could say I'm not in, in tech because I'm a brand strategist and that's not a technology field, but I work in the technology industry. So supporting function of a yeah. But for women yeah. specifically, when we think about women specifically, I think what, what do you hope 
what do you hope to see with women in tech in the next five years? Yeah, I think just like the, the, I hate to use cliches, but the, the bigger picture view of what tech is that you don't, if you want to be a, a software engineer, great. If you don't want to be a software engineer, what's the role, you know, and I'm just picking on software engineer, but if you, you know, what's the role that you can play? There's so many parts and pieces. Actually, this employer brand project that I'm working on right now, 80% of their company are engineers, but they're recognizing that as they grow, they're going to need to expand. They're going to need more people in all the things, you know, probably building design and, you know, certainly people operations or HR and marketing and social media, like all of the fields, those are going to have to grow as well. So I think it's just really seeing like, whether you're a woman or not, like what's your passion area? And then how can you apply it, you know, to the industry and don't get turned away. It's much easier said than done. See that you can be part of the future and part of the change and you can get there by applying the thing that you're really good at, you're passionate about, or the thing you want to learn and the thing you want to be good at, because we need all different roles. Otherwise, we hate to say this, but otherwise a lot of companies, they hire like their strongest talent, you know, are, is the, you know, more of like the engineer kind of side of it. And then they get mediocre everybody else for the Uh, other roles. Like, why is it like that? That's then when you have this divide where, you know, nobody cares about whatever, you know, the other roles are, but it's like, how can you level that up so that no matter what your role is, you're all in service of the same thing and you're all like the, the best in your field. So mm-hmm. there's something common I see in my kind of line of work of, you know, what, what I used to do earlier in my career was, you know, program project management. And, you know, I still do this for my clients, but I would never market myself, I guess, as a, well, not never. I, I just wouldn't, I, I differentiate myself, I guess, from a traditional programmer project manager in that I didn't come from a technology background. I mm. wasn't a former software developer and a male who then just moved into this program management role. Some of the probably, I, I would say for me, just speaking frankly, some of the most poor fits I've seen in the program management field are those folks that come up that were former software engineers that come up and then declare they want to be program managers. And I just, I just don't see how the skills translate very well. Um, It's just, it's, it doesn't mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is most of those are people are men. They get the jobs because they were former software developers, but it doesn't necessarily make them good project managers. And so I think it's also important for women if you want to roll as a project manager, a program manager, product manager, like don't get fooled that you need to have been a software developer in order to succeed in that role. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say is mm-hmm. I think that there's this perception out there that you needed to have grown up in tech. And a lot since a lot of software developers are male still to this day, I think a lot of women get deterred like, oh, I didn't, I didn't grow up as a software developer, so I better not even try for this program management job. And then right there, women, you know, women walk away from roles where they could excel at and be incredibly wonderful and talented at and make a difference in an org because they assume they didn't, they don't have the right skills. And so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's especially important for, I'll put myself in this camp, older women as well, because (laughs) same, (laughs) yeah, we didn't grow up, so to speak, you know, in the industry. Whereas, you know, maybe if you're coming right out of school or you're earlier on in your career, you can make that choice to kind of enter at this stage. Mm -hmm. But what if you're executive level or very senior level 
that's hard. You're not going to, you're not going to start over. So it, it, to your point, it's like, what are your transferable skills? What are the things that are going to make you good at that role? And then you're going to learn the industry. Yeah. You're going to learn the space. I really do think in most cases, I'm sure not all, it's easier to learn the category than it is to learn a brand new skill, right? So totally. I, it's probably not true of everything. There have got to be yeah. categories where it's like, no, it's pretty, you know, pretty complex. Like, I'm not going to go be an electrical engineer tomorrow, you know, and just be like, oh, oh no, skills. I could be go, go be an electrical engineer. Like, no, or right. I can go write like, you know, JavaScript for days. No, no, those are very hard, non-trans, hard skills that do take, you know, yeah, some things are, are learning. learnable, you know. Oh, like, for sure. Yeah. But I wouldn't think I wouldn't apply for a job no, right now. No, no, no. Given no, what no, I know no. without knowing JavaScript. Like yeah. there there is that line where, you know, but but back to the transferable skills mm-hmm. that you can have in any job, or not in any job, but like in any industry or yeah, in any job. Um, I think that just in in my field, I guess specifically for program project management, I see many women just walking away saying, like, oh, I'm not, I wasn't a software developer. So and they and this company is known for only hiring former engineers into yep. program and project roles. So yep. ooh, I better yep. not apply. And I think that's just such a loss for the company and for the individual. So I guess I I encourage listeners out there to just go for it, to apply, figure out like who you know at the company, who can vouch for you, like what you what you shared earlier, Karen. And I think just to keep persevering and being consistent and persistent about wanting to do what you want to do. If you want to work in tech, figure out a way and and just don't don't stop until till you're in. Yeah. And find something that you feel is, I, I can't think of the right word, but like analogous in a sense, you know, cause I have people approaching me all the time and they're like, have you ever worked in the, what was it? Oh, it was 2020 when I got my first FinTech project. And someone said, oh, have you ever worked in FinTech? And I said, no, but I have done, you know, and I, I yeah. shared other industries and other types of projects that were not FinTech, but were col- kind of closely related. For some reason, then 2020 became my year of fintech. I had four fintech <laughs> clients that year, but they all came after the other. So then the second one, have you ever worked in fintech? Yes, I'm working on a project right now. Yes, the third one, you ever worked in fintech? Yes, I've yes. done two. But, but it took the first one. You don't lie and say yes if you haven't, but you no. can say, you know, I have not, but here's, you know, mm-hmm. what I have done. And a lot of times that's perfectly fine. If not, better. You know, sometimes like you're saying, coming in with a set of experiences that are outside of an industry or outside of a category is actually really beneficial because you're looking at it from a different perspective, you know, versus everyone who's kind of mired into it. And, and I think that's going back to the, like, ask the questions you want to ask. I think there's, once you get embedded in a company or a role, you sort of like, there's this like, well, you should have already asked those questions. It's sort of like when you forget someone's name, and you're yeah. like, oh my God, I can't ask now. two months later. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I can't ask I now. Like, I should know by now. But I'm also like, why not? They probably forgot your name too, you know? But I exactly. think it's like just, you know, when you are new to the industry, if you are coming in with a different skill set, but you're bringing it to like technology landscape, ask all the questions you want and mm-hmm. keep that, keep that, you know, figurative hat on the whole time. Because yeah. chances are no one's asking those questions internally. They're just thinking about the way they've always done it. So love it. Well, final question. Why do you think it's important to have women in tech? I mean, gosh, I want to say, why is it important to have women everywhere? Um, I think 
hopefully this is not a generalization, but you know, being a woman and working with women and just being surrounded by women, knowing we have, and it's not exclusive, I'm sure there are certain people that don't fit into this, but there is a level of compassion and kind of deep understanding of patience of there's like an ability to go so much deeper into a situation and into a person and not just be so black or white. I'm not saying all men are black or white, but that we bring or mechanical about things. Yeah, or, we yeah. bring a different perspective. Just a woman is going to bring a different perspective from a man, just like someone from a different part of the world is going to bring a perspective from some, you know, from something else or someone that came from another category. But it really is, you know, I, I think it, it, we bring something special. We bring a skill set that just isn't there if we aren't there. It also, we bring a sense of balance. I mean, I wish it wasn't this way, but we take on more in our lives, whether it's, you know, running the household, taking care of the children and, and the pets and just all that kind of the stuff. The dog children. The dog children. And when you have more people that are balancing all of those things, there's just much more respect for everyone else that is doing those things. I've, I remember many years ago being nervous to tell my male boss that my dog had cancer and that I was going to miss some work because, you know, she had a lot of treatments and then she might, we might find out it's her last, you know, couple of days. And then I'm going to want to take those days off. I was like, I have to tell my man boss this. He's not going to get it. And I was like, so nervous and so nervous. I told him and he said, oh, I never told you this, but my wife and I foster cats and we have gone through this all the time. Like I was nervous that a man wasn't going to get that side of me. Now I got lucky that he totally did. But I think, you know, working moms, working dog moms, just working people in general, Mm -hmm. we're going to understand kind of that balance and, you know, needing to take time off and needing to pause and just say, you know what? Hey, I actually can't even make this meeting today because I've got something going on and we're not going to ask, well, what do you have going on? You know? So there is just sort of, yeah, I think it's like respecting the balance and the boundaries, bringing just that different viewpoint, more of the compassion, maybe even a deeper level of understanding into things and just other women seeing other women. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. just, you know, being surrounded by people that you feel like can really be your role models that you can relate to and identify with. You know, just thinking of a couple of things you've said over the past few, you know, hour, however long we've been talking, is I think every time that you've shown your human side, Kieran, you've been met with, and even when you've kind of maybe hesitated or you just like asking the guy, asking the male leader, like, what is it that you need? What are your expectations? Mm-hmm. Going to a male boss and, and talking about your dog with cancer, you know, both times like had to show a bit of vulnerability on your side to, to ask, a, to, to say something that felt maybe uncomfortable or hard, but you knew you, you got that from somewhere inside you and you knew Mm -hmm. that that could, A, you needed to talk to your boss about that and you were scared, but you did it anyway. You kind of brought like a sense of like, I don't know, you had to come to Jesus moment in that meeting with that guy just saying, what is it that you need? And I think those are both examples of like, where you kind of just put it out, put what you were feeling or thinking out there verbally versus just internalizing it and trying to just work through it silently and just hoping like it would all work out. But you put yourself out there and you could have been shot down in either situation. But instead, look at the wonderful benefits that you got in both of those scenarios. I never thought about it that way. Like, Mm -hmm. thank you for enlightening me with that because yeah, I never thought I was making myself vulnerable. I think like in the case with my dog with cancer, I actually didn't have to tell him. I know a lot of people that would just 
either not miss work and they would just yep. miss out suffer on a life through. moment. Yeah, they yeah. miss on a life moment or they would suffer through. Or, you know, in the meeting example, they wouldn't say anything and then walk away and just be like upset and think they failed and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the content wasn't really great and whatever. So yeah, it's it's like this kind of leveling us. I feel like the virtual, the kind of work from home nature, at least, you know, in our field has leveled that a little bit. Like I've loved when kids bust down the door, you know, <laughs> to yeah. the room of like yes. where someone's working, like, and they're in like a costume, you know, and the person's like, hold on a second, you know, or, or go yell at their kids. I've had like coworkers say, sorry, I have to go yell at my kid. Hold on. Yeah. Or just like you said, can you hear my dog snoring? You know, yeah. it's just, there's been this like, we've been able to see into people's lives outside of just the office and the professional nature. And I think that ha- like that's beneficial for everyone. We're all people. I mean, the things that I wear now to like meetings and the lack of makeup that I put on, oh. it's not because I don't care. It's that I don't feel the need to say, this is my work self and this is my yeah. home self. It's like, this is me. And I think that's something that as women, especially in male-dominated industries, would be afraid, you know, I have to look my best and I have to be the best version. But it's like, why can't we just all be, I sound very kumbaya, but why can't we just all be who we are, you know, kind of on and off work? And that shouldn't change by, you know, the industry. And yes, if you are on TV, if you are a reporter, you know, you are reporting live from the White House. If that yeah. was, if that was me, I would probably put on some makeup, but like, you or know, other take off the yoga pants. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, for most situations, it's like, you know, let yourself be who you are. And I think this almost like kind of wrap, like sums up, you know, it's like, if you want to get into something, you don't have to play a different role. You don't have to be a different person. You don't have to mm-hmm. pretend you have this huge tech background. It's like, no, this is what I bring. This is who I am. This is yes. how I can benefit, you know, the company and the, and the people and the team and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, that's your place. And you're going to learn the other stuff. So, and this is why it's great that I don't have a tech background because I, I have a different perspective. This yeah, is, yeah. yeah. I, and, and, and I think just even spotlighting, like it's, it's a good thing. I'm not from tech. You know why? Because I have new ideas. I have a fresh perspective. I've done this, this, and this. And I, I think there's just, gosh, we could just keep talking forever, but I, I love what you said just about bringing your whole person to work. That is a little bit cliche. I hear it, you know, from mm-hmm. time to time, but really like embracing like who, who are you as a whole person? And you're a dog mom, you're a runner, you are a San Franciscan, you're a brand technology, brand strategist, technology focused. That did not come out very well. You <laughs> yeah. A brand strategist focused in the technology industry. Yeah. But also you have experiences in multiple industries. You're you're a wife. You have, you know, who are you as that whole person? And I think the more that we can show who we are as whole people at work, the more human we become, the more fun work becomes the more interesting it becomes because we, we look at each other as humans versus just, you know, robots like executing mm-hmm. some kind of a function. Mm-hmm. In my current client right now, that's been one of the most fulfilling parts about working where I am right now with my current client is our CIO is amazing and he he treats people like humans and he's talks about real life and real things and and we're allowed to bring our, be our whole selves at work yeah. without the risk of being judged or or getting feedback or, you know, we're, we're allowed to be our human. Totally. And, you know, it's so much easier said than done. There are, you know, obviously 
tons of, there's tons of history on discrimination and not everyone can feel like they can be their whole self. So I'm not saying like, oh, it's easy, sure. you know, no, show up, you know, and, and just be yourself. But, you know, mm-hmm. if we as women support each other in this mm-hmm. respect, then yeah, like that's what it's about. And so kind of going back to like, you know, what do I hope for women in tech? It's like that there's more of us that want to do it that feel like we can do it and that help each other out and support each other and, you know, pass along. If someone got you into something, then, you know, pass that down to someone else later. Uh, Well, on that note, anything else that you want to mention today that we have not talked about? Anything else that you want to say or you want listeners to know? Gosh, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think so. I feel like we've covered a lot. I think this is like, kind of like re-inspired me even <laughs> to what I to do. Um, yeah, I always, I mean, people say I'm like so optimistic, but I do get excited when a project comes my way and it's, and I'm like, whoa, that seems scary. And I've never done that before, but it's like, it energizes me to learn about it. And then, you know, not that I can hold my own necessarily, you know, at a cocktail party talking about data compression, but I at least know- You what, might surprise yourself. I might, I, yeah, I, I can follow along. <laughs> so- Probably yeah. know enough to be dangerous, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. And probably surprise other people like, oh, you you know about data compression? Yeah. Well, well, that's cool. Yeah. You know, that that's a very cool party trick right there. I'd love to dig more into that next time I see you for cocktails. I know. <laughs> well, Karen, it's been wonderful having you on for the second time. You're still one of the top performing podcasts of oh. my in- entire, you know, podcast suite. So thank you for another wonderful episode and for sharing sharing your truth and, and, and yourself. Well, thank you you. for doing this and just really being a voice for a lot of people who are looking to get into the industry or looking just to even hear from all the really great women that you talk to. So thank you. Yes. Well, be well, and we will chat soon and keep the conversation going. And Karen, where can people find you if they want to connect, hire you, learn more, you know, hire you as a mentor, hire you as a consultant, whatever. So the best ways to reach me are my LinkedIn page. And again, you know, Karen with C, of course, Williams and marketing and brand strategist, I think is my title or my website, karen-williams.com. Basically all my social pages are just devoted to my dogs. So that's not, you can reach me there, but that's that's not going to be a place for work. So And really funny memes, really funny memes that you got from Twitter. Thank you. I do think of myself as a good curator. (laughs) Oh, oh, you have, you are a very good curator. (laughs) Thanks. All right. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Holly. Are you curious if your business idea will actually work? Don't worry. I've got you. Your best business idea starts here at hollynoll.com slash free. Go to the link and download my free business action guide. In this guide, you'll map your skills and expertise to build a profitable business idea. You'll solidify an irresistible offer that turns contacts into clients. And you'll implement my step-by-step framework to quickly land your very first client. Thank you for joining me this week on the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there and you chose to be here with me. And for that, I am truly grateful to you. For more information on today's episode and this podcast, visit hollynoll.com slash podcast, where you can find links discussed in the shows and connect directly with my guests. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you enjoyed today's show, share your rating on iTunes, or if you'd rather tell a friend about the show, that would mean the world. 
And remember, check out my free business action guide at hollynoll.com slash free, or for more business building tools, visit the consultant code on Instagram. Until next time, keep taking action to build your business.